Thank you for joining us at First United Methodist Church of Locust Grove's Sermon Podcast. Our mission at this church is to live God's way, share God's story, and serve God's people. One of the ways that we live into this mission is that we offer our sermons for you to listen to, and we hope that one Sunday you come and join us at 1045 a.m. For more information about our church, you can go on our website at www.fumclgok.org. Thank you, and have a blessed day. Scripture reading for today comes from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and verse 10. Listen to these words. I said to myself, come, and I will make you experience pleasure, enjoy what is good. But this, too, was pointless. Merriment, I thought, is madness, pleasure of no use at all. I tried cheering myself up with wine and by embracing folly with wisdom still guiding me until I might see what is really worth doing in the few days that human beings have under heaven. Verse 10. I refrained from nothing that my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. So this sermon series that we're, we're just starting today and that Kindle Sunday School class uh, started today is, is um, called Happy, what it is and where to find it. And um, the first chapter of the book, is the title is Nothing Will Make You Happy. And as I was looking for a graphic, I couldn't find anything better than just, uh, you know, a couple of scoops of ice cream with cinnamon on top. And uh, if that doesn't make you happy, I don't know what will. But, you know, uh, this past week, I had to wrestle with what is happiness. And, of course, uh, God provides opportunities for you to experience what happiness may be. Uh, Some people find happiness in running 5Ks. I was halfway through mine on Sunday when I realized this. How is this fun? (laughs) And about halfway through my walk, because I ran the first probably, I ran to the first hill. And I don't know how far that was, but I ran to the first hill. Now, granted, it went downhill to, get, to start. But I ran to the first hill. I felt good. And then I got to that first hill. And I'm like, no, I'm done. So I took a nice walk. Walked to the next hill. Ran up the next hill. Had a little bit of energy. Ran up the next hill. And then I knew that at the next hill, I'd be coming. Ashley and Kimberly would be coming back towards me. So I thought I'd look like I'm running a little bit. <laughs> I never had a smile on my face while I was doing this. I looked very angry. I don't like running. Like, I really realized in in this little process of what little training I did, and and this was not something that brought me happiness. Actually, I tried to make myself look good. I knew that when we were coming back around the bend and I was coming towards the finish line, I had about a half a block to go. I started running, making it look like I ran the whole thing. It didn't bring me happiness. Now, for some people, it does, and that's great. If, if, that, if running brings you happiness, more power to you. May God gift you and bless you and keep you while you're doing that. That is not me. And then sometimes people find happiness by attending training events. This last week, I attended a training event uh, that was provided by the uh, Oklahoma Annual Conference, and one of the, the event was really for pastors that were in transition. And what they talked about in this, this, um, 
in this workshop, this two-day workshop, was to think of a transitioning pastor, a new pastor, as a relay race. Think of this time as a relay race. And, and you know what happens before they pass the baton? There's about, oh, a few, depending on your you know, stride and all that stuff, there's this whole little area that's called the, um, got to make sure I get this right now, because I call it a whole bunch of different things, but um, the change zone. And in the change zone, you have one pastor, you have one person starting, the, the person with the, that's about to receive the stick starts, and the person that's running, they're running, and they're getting ready to hand off, and they hand off, and they say, stick, and they exchange, and then the next person runs the race. One of the things that they brought forward to us in this, in this whole conversation, this two-day conversation, is that we need to stop thinking about pastor transition as one end and one begin, and it just, that's how it happens, because that's not how it happens. What happens is, is that from the very beginning of the announcement of, of the say that there's going to be a pastoral change until the next pastor gets here, there's all this range of emotions, there's all these things that get us set up and get us ready, and to get us ready for that next pastor to then start. And let me tell you, as someone who's done this three times, I can tell you it is truly taking the stick and running with it. And as I saw this imagery kind of really play out, it really made sense to me that, that I am passing this baton on. This is your all's baton. This is the one that I will be handing and leaving for Kathy to pick up and run with. Now, she's not a runner. She's a walker. She'll walk with it. And she'll lead you to new places. And I enjoyed this imagery. I love the whole idea of, of, of taking a baton. And they suggested that we take this baton and, and set it on the altar to remind us that we are in the changeover zone. Now, this doesn't bring me happiness. I, I want to say this. I am not happy that I have to leave. It's part of the calling that God has placed on my heart. And I know that this is going to be something I do for a long time. I'll be moving and changing, and it's just the way things work. But one of the things that Jim Olger said in this that really kind of stuck with me is that we don't want to be a church that drops the baton. Have you ever seen a relay race where they drop the baton? What usually happens? They lose. They're disqualified. If, if it goes, they can't, like, let's say I'm in this running lane. If it drops over there, they're out. They can't go out of their lane to pick it up. And, it, and it, they can try to pick it up. But have you ever tried to, in a sprint, try to pick something up? You know what usually happens? Usually get steps on. I can't tell you how many uh, races I've seen in my lifetime where batons have been stepped on because they dropped it and then they went boop. It's the same thing within the church. If we don't make a good transition, we drop the baton. Disciples get lost. People don't get to know to be made Christ. We step on it and it becomes hurt and it takes us a long time to, to get back where we need to be. And so I want to propose this. I want to propose for the next six Sundays that we've got together, this is six, we'll have five next week, that you be in prayer for this transition. That you every day say a special prayer for Kathy and for me. Because while I'm getting ready to hand off a baton, I'm also receiving a baton at the same time. And it ain't easy. And I'll be honest, this is not something that makes me happy. I'm, I'm happy for you all because I think you guys are going to flourish. I think things are going to be great. I think God is setting you up for great things. But we have to take that baton and run with it.
And so what I want to do, I've asked the Sunday school classes to, to write prayer cards for Kathy. I want to encourage us to continue to lift her up in her prayers. Just like I had the little kids, you know, I had the kids hold on to this. That was, I, I can't tell you the powerful, like watching all those kids hold on to the baton, the, the Holy Spirit power of just, oh my gosh, Kathy is going to get all these kids. <laughs> and they're praying for her. And so what I want to do is in, the, in this time, this next few minutes of, of sermon, I, wanna, I want you all to pray for her. Pass, pass the baton. Pass the baton around and pray for her and say a prayer for her. And, and that will help prepare us to get ready in this changeover zone, this time of change, to be ready for her when she arrives and to greet her and love on her and care for her like you all did for me. Now, this isn't easy, and like I said, this, this changeover time is not easy. But we need to dig into today's sermon. Leslie Alderman, uh, in her book, Book of Times, did this study. She said, what are the happiest times of our day? I'm, what are the happiest times of your day? I want you to think about your day and think, when are you the happiest? Think about that. So in this study, she used Twitter users and found an interesting pattern. Humans tend to be happy at breakfast time, not so happy at midday, and then happy again near bedtime. The study, which also analyzed 509 million tweets from 2.4 million users in 84 countries, found that moods fluctuate in a predictable pattern. On weekdays, positive tweets peaked around between 6 a.m. and 9 a.m then declined steadily to a, to a trough between 3 p.m. and 4 p.m. Then late afternoon, positive began to rise again, peaking after dinner. On weekdays, this pattern is similar, but morning happiness, now listen to this, people that need sleep and need to sleep in on the Saturdays. Morning happiness shifts and actually starts from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m., most people begin their days starting a little happier. I mean, and I, I don't know about you, but the way I kind of wake up in the morning, I'm not necessarily happy like, yay, bright and shining, yay. Like, that's not the way I operate. But I do give, uh, I do give thanks for the day. And I actually do feel like it's going to be a good day most days unless allergies or my body's just saying no. You know, Monday my body was saying you are not happy. My body was telling me you do not need to get out of bed although my schedule didn't permit it. And, you know, the, the author of Ecclesiastes took it upon himself to do his own happiness study. He spent his whole life looking at happiness and what, is it, what does it mean, and, and he looked at work and accumulating stuff and pleasures, and what he discovered is that none of this leads to happiness. We can be happy in our jobs, but we couldn't be truly fulfilled. We, we can think we're happy and we're not really happy. Because how many of you have been at your job and you, you're happy, you love your job, but you would rather be somewhere else? Like the lake or at a baseball game or, you know, like that happens. And it's okay. That, that's normal. Realize you're having normal thoughts by everyday people. It's okay to be happy somewhere else. Stuff doesn't bring us happiness. We can accumulate everything in the entire world and we can still be sad. Pleasure, things that bring us pleasure only bring us temporal happiness. You know that, 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 that like handful of chocolate candy that you grab? That's only temporal. 
It's not life-giving, life-sustaining, life-affirming happiness. And that kind of happiness that we long for, that we seek for, Jesus gave us a model for it. Maybe you've heard this. Jesus pointed us in the direction of happiness. Jesus said in Matthew 22, You must love the Lord with your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your mind. The first is the greatest commandment, and the second is like this. You must love your neighbor as yourself. The Jesus challenge of happiness is about you must be in a relationship with God, yourself, and with other people. To truly be happy, we, we must engage all three. And, and a lot of times we do one, of the, one or two of the three pretty well. A lot of times people can say they love God, but also hate themselves and hate other people. There are those people. There are people in this world that, that love God and love themselves, but hate their neighbor. There are people in this world that, that love all three. They're all, I mean, we can look at the different variations and understand that people are different. But the challenge is to really be happy is to have a balance of all three. When I asked on Facebook on Monday morning, you know, what brings you happiness, it was amazing to see the answers. I don't know how many of you uh, stayed and, and paid attention to what people were saying, but the majority of the things that were being responded were relationships. Whether it was a relationship with granddaughters or friends or family or children or colleagues, what drove people to happiness in this little survey of mine was relationships. Nothing brings me more happiness when I know I'm serving and happy. And I think that that's the challenge. That what will make us happy is no thing. No thing will ever really make us happy. But relationships will. Getting to know your neighbor. Nothing, I enjoy, one of the things I enjoy doing, uh, one of the things I love about my job is that I get to know people at all various times of their lives. I get to be there when they're born. I get to be there when, when we baptize them and we agree as a church to raise them up. I get to be there when they receive communion for the first time. I get to be there when they're older or when they're teenagers or children, when they're going through their best times and when through their worst times. I enjoy being there and being a presence. And sometimes I don't even have the answer for what they're going through, but just being there and being present brings me joy relationships are what bring us joy. And I think that that's the challenge. As, as we look at Ecclesiastes, I think he kind of realized this, is that what brings people joy is having a relationship with God, yourself, and with other people. The author of the book, Matt Miosky, he wrote this. He said, instead, you and all of us should invest every minute of every hour in good relationships with God, ourselves, and with other people. These are things that will bring us lasting happiness, period. So you want to be happy? Surround yourself with good people. You want to be happy? Get your relationship right with God. You want to be happy? Get yourself in the right frame of mind. You do those three things, and you will find happiness. Now, it may not be like the happy, happy, joy, joy, you know, bright and shiny, all kind of thing. But it will be an assurance of happiness, and you will feel fulfilled. And so this week, I want to encourage you to find your happy. Ask yourself, which one of those three am I not working on? Which one of those three do I feel distant? Is my relationship with God in the right place? 
Is my relationship with myself in the right place? Or is my relationship with my neighbor in the right place? And as you think about that, as you think about that relation, where you are in your relationship journey, pray for God to work on you and work through you. Because when we go to God and we open ourselves up, you will find happiness. Even in the midst of sorrow, you can find happiness. Because you'll have people around you who are there with you and won't abandon you. So may you go find happiness this week. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to First United Methodist Church of Locust Grove Sermon. We hope that you enjoyed the message, and we hope that God works on you and works through you as you help us live into our mission of living God's way, sharing God's story, and serving God's people. We hope to see you next Sunday at 1045 a.m. And for more information about our church, you can go online at www.fumclgok.org. Thank you, and have a good day.